FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Anyone Can Farm with Mark Baker. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Wednesday, May 24th in the year 2023. Patriots, tonight we're going to have a nice break from the insanity of our news. And we're going to focus in on homesteading with one of the best voices in America for that right now, and that's Mark Baker of Baker Green Acres. His farm is up in Michigan, and they have a new launch of a program called Anyone Can Farm, which is really fantastic. It has online training for butchery and a whole variety of other things that just are making it more accessible for people to be able to learn the skills necessary to homestead. And I think this is just such an important point here. Because so much of what we are dealing with right now at this juncture is about change. Change in our lifestyles, change in the way we look at things, change in where we buy our food, how we take care of ourselves, how we build sovereignty, and how we take good health. Before we get going, one thing that is absolutely essential is that you need to have a good supplement, and I'm truly a believer in using whole foods. And one of the best places for that into getting a supplement that will be from entire organic and whole foods, complete foods, is Field of Greens. They've got something that, well, it's definitely worth having. Patriots, our greatest health is achieved when we rely on God's bounty to support our whole body health. Field of Greens is a whole food supplement that empowers our mind, body, and spirit as we were designed. Each specific fruit and vegetable in Field of Greens has been medically chosen to support specific health functions like your heart, your liver, your kidney health, your immune system, and your metabolism. Field of Greens is organically sourced, manufactured in the United States, and the company is headquartered in Texas. It is a supplement designed to boost the full body-mind function using whole foods. Just read the ingredient label and you will see it reads like a grocery shopping list, not a lab experiment. Field of Greens is also the only brand with a better health promise. Start using and enjoying Field of Greens, and at your next doctor's visit, if your doctor doesn't say something like, wow, whatever you're doing, it's working, keep it up, return it for a full refund. If you keep your body healthy, your mind and spirit will follow. So get started today. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to get 15% off by going to fieldofgreens.com. That's fieldofgreens.com. And if you sign up for the monthly subscription, which you can suspend or cancel at any time, you will get an additional 10% off. That is a total of 25% off. Just go to fieldofgreens.com and use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. Again, that's fieldofgreens.com, promo code BARDS. Well, Patriots, as we know, the news doesn't get any less crazy every day. Obviously, today you probably heard that Ron DeSantis entered the race I'm going to just read you the headline from the Gateway Pundit. I think it sums it up. 
Kind of creepy, kind of weird. Ron DeSantis spends the first 30 seconds of a gloomy launch ad, ending with him walking behind a dark curtain, the second dark curtain in the ad, because one dark curtain is just not enough. (laughs) We just have a crazy time right now. The world is on the upside down, and it's continuing to flip as this tyrannical government is ravaging everything it can to try to keep everybody under their thumb. And part of that war is food, and part of that war is health, and we know this. Stress is another big one. They keep trying to apply stress and all the fears upon people to try to keep people away from the realities of how we're supposed to live. Right now is a critical time when we, when we really have to start making those decisions of what is the future we want. And it can't be the reliance on a corporate infrastructure that's built around a Babylonian temple. The boycotts right now are starting to take track or maintain traction, and that's good, but it needs to be greater than that. It needs to be any company, any company that is going to push this woke agenda we have to walk away from. And that means more reliance on the skills that we have. Target, obviously, they went into a panic mode because their, their board of directors was called in for fear that people would proclaim, yes, a boycott. Why? Because they were putting woke and LGBT crap in the front of their stores on mannequins for little ones. You're talking chest binders for two-year-olds. You're talking special snip-and-tuck and type bathing suits for men. I mean, this is insane. And this is what Target's doing. And, and their woke designer is a Satanist and also a pedophile. And he's gay. So just put all that stack together. And they're worried about a customer reaction. So they're placating customer response by moving it to the back of the store in certain markets so that people don't see it, but it's still there. That's not enough. The boycott has to be complete. Target needs to be buried to the ground. The boycott with Bud Light is going very well. Walmart Pictures of Walmart today showed pallets of Bud Light on sale for $1.99. And there's more and more business discussion concerned because they didn't imagine that this would actually metastasize and grow beyond their core market, which they consider to be just conservatives. They should have known better either way, but it is growing and people need to put their foot down. And then today, to add to all the stupidity of all of this, North Face. North Face backpack gear and hiking gear became super gay. It's, it's promoting Pride Summer with rallies all over the country. They're coming to Utah and Salt Lake City and other places to bring LGBT voices to the gayness of the world, to get us all digesting more of their snip and tuck and murder children's sexual organs protests. This is what's happening. And all of this is geared towards the big corporate entities, and they're being forced to do it. And what's going to keep it going is if people keep buying their crap. We need to be pushing heavily into more things we do with our own. Companies that support the right values. Companies that use products that don't promote LGBTQ agendas. That has to be. And as long as we're doing that, then we're going to make a difference in this market because our dollars are a form of vote. That means we need to be seeing more small manufacturers stand up. I've said this. We don't have a, We have great seamstresses. I know even in Bard's Nation, this is a time. By the way, if you want a great business, start making kids' clothes, offering it, and getting a website up and offering custom kids' clothes. This is a great market, a great time 
And we need to be encouraging that more and more. Now, one last thing before we get going here is a product to keep your health and your stress low, which is important, and keep a good night's sleep. Very happy to have CB Distillery on board with us as they produce CBD oil products. They're fantastic. They're, I've been taking some of them. I, we've been trying them out here in the household. Very impressed. You have a, a They have a great, great track record, over 2 million customers satisfied. 90% of the customers report better sleep taking their, their products. And it's CBD-based products from hemp. They also have about 80% of their, their customers are re, report lower stress that take these CBD products. And it also helps with aches and pains, which I'll attest to immediately. So great product. I'm very happy to have a good dealer or a good distributor on board for this type of product. So CB Distillery, cbdistillery.com. You can find the link of all of these below the podcast, but cbdistillery.com. Use your BARDS code, B-A-R-D-S, and you're going to get 20% off. I think it's the most famous promo code on the web now. Everybody wants it. So BARDS code, B-A-R-D-S, 20% off, great products. I can't. I really do rave about them. And I love the fact that it's pushing a product that is alternative to the pharmaceutical nightmare, which is that's where all the most of this problem is coming from at the end of the day, between big corporate, big banks, and pharmaceutical, big pharma. That's where our country has been driven to the ground. So you should get some of these, you should get CBD products in your medical kit, in your medical cabinet, so to speak. They're just great for overall body health. So get, check that out, CB Distillery, cbdistillery.com, and use your promo code BARDS for 20% off. It's awesome. All right, Patriots. So with all of that said about getting control of our lives, Mark Baker, who runs Baker's Green Acres, is really on top of things. I'm just wait a minute. I got to give you a preview on something. This is the new soundtrack for the uh, Bars Fest promo uh, video we're going to have out on Friday. It's a, and I'm working with Duncan, and I'm also doing an, a separate one myself. But this is part of the the uh, combined effort here. I think I think you'll like it. That's what we're there for. Raise it up. You know, it actually says bended knees in that. I'm not kidding. Under that's if you didn't hear it, you have to listen to it when it comes out. They actually say bended knees. I was like, yeah. All right, we're game. So anyway, Mark Baker, we're gonna put on right now. He is probably one of the biggest voices out here in sustainable farm in like farm businesses and also homesteading and farming. He's been doing this for a lot of years deep amount of knowledge. We just have an open conversation here on a lot of topics that just came up. 
And I think you'll find it really good. Enjoy it. So here we go. A nice evening with Mark Baker from Baker Green Acres. Well, Patriots, I am really honored today. It's been a long time, in fact. We're having Mark Baker on of Baker Green Acres. And it has been too long, but um, he is probably one of the best voices and experience bases out here on small agriculture at this point in time. Has run a very successful operation. I'm just going to welcome him to the show. How are you, Mark? Good, Scott. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has indeed. So, all right, let's get up to date a little bit. So, what's going on up in your neck of the woods besides the normal craziness? Well, um, I our farm is in Marion, Michigan, which is uh, northern lower Michigan. And since the last time I talked to you, we've acquired another 80 acres that we added to the 80 that we live on, and it's next door. Um, the the whole COVID-19 thing uh, drove a lot of business right to us, so we've been busier than we ever have. Um, it's not a hard sell to explain to people that they probably should have a good uh, farmer in their back pocket if they want to eat in the days coming. Um, I don't know that for sure, but it just kind of looks that way. Uh, so we've expanded our operation just the way we do every year. It seems like every year we grow a little bit. Um, one of the new one of the things that's changed quite a bit though is if your listeners wanted to go to the anyone can farm experience.com it's our uh education arm of our, our operation so we we never really set out to be in the education business but the more and more success that we had with the small operation the more attention we attracted and we, the more people came to us for how to, you know, how do you guys do this? What should I do here? What should I do there? And in my opinion, uh, it is my, my duty to, to share the information to people who want to grow their own food, because I, I really think that's one of the, one of the key, uh, uh, aspects of this struggle that the country's going through is being able to sustain ourselves as as a group of people we don't want to be dependent on anybody so the education wing or uh arm of baker's green acres has really taken off in the last year or so and uh yeah if your folks want to check that out there's a ton of information there and we put some of it in what's called well, well, we call it the Anyone Can Farm Tribe, which is a Facebook group. And we started out, it hovered at about a thousand people for a long time, which I thought was a lot of people because it, it really is a lot of people. But in the last, oh, two months, it's grown to about 7,000 people. And uh, it's a page where people can go and share information, ask questions, um, just get inspired by what other people are doing in the farming world. So myself, uh, this is somewhat new to me. I mean, I've been at this place for 19 years. Uh, I, I was, 
an Air Force Airman for 20 years. So I did uh, my service to my country for 20 years. And then I got out and I wanted to get into farming. And so I did. But it took a long time before we found our niche, where we were going to wind up. Um, and we believe now that the way to do the small farm thing is to kind of call it small farm homesteading and diversification really, really is the key. And I, you know, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but there's some, some critical skills that really need to be put up on the table and displayed and say, Hey, you all need to get these skills while you can. I agree with you. So one of the things that you teach is charcuterie. Yeah. And it really fascinates me because this is an area where you can preserve meat without refrigeration. Yeah. And what are the methods behind that? Because there's a number of, there's a different ways to accomplish dry curing meat. So what are some of the areas that you focus on? Yeah, you're right. There's, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. And I'd say we know about, uh, 4% of them, you know, we do the same ones over and over and over the ones that we like that my family likes. I've got a pretty good sized family and, and we eat mostly off this farm. So everything that we need, uh, will, will open up another, uh, facet of the operation to supply us with what we need. Uh, I, I, I would say that people would probably look at us and say, oh, those guys are preppers or prep setters. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that because in the in farming world, we're always prepping for the next season or the next snowstorm or the next drought or something. There's always like something that some boogeyman that's out there that we've got to be ready for. And uh, keeping my family fed is paramount. So we uh, we learned the art of charcuterie and when we learned it, it, it we, we we didn't really call it charcuterie it was called uh making hams and making bacons and and people have actually called me on that and they say what are you going to have that ten dollar word word in there for um well i think it's the french word actually but um either way it's it's the art of meat preservation and it used to be done back in the old days, just so that a person could, say, process a pig in the fall and still have meat to eat come the next fall, you know, and they didn't have refrigeration. And so they had to figure out a way to do it. And luckily, uh, the way the animals are designed, uh, if you administer salt to it and you feed the animal right, Right. You can't feed them with corn and soy. You have to feed them with uh, feeds that are high in tannic acid or tannins, they call it, which is the uh, compound that you use to tan a hide. So it, it resists rancidity. And then you have to have a place where once the meats are either put in cases or they are salted, uh, that you can hang those meats. So you got to have an area that's kind of secure from flies. Uh, but then again, we work with the seasons. So we, we will always slaughter pigs in the fall when the flies are gone. And then we salt the meats 
Uh, we hang them in our hanging, in our dry curing room, which is just a, a little closet that we built. And we do our best to monitor the humidity and the temperature in there, but we don't use a lot of HVAC or we don't use any HVAC, any refrigeration or anything like that because we are doing it in the fall. Uh, it, it gets cold during the winter and we put this room on the north side of the building so it would you know, stay cool in the summertime and uh, not get super, super cold in the wintertime. And the meats will actually cure in there. And it, it extends their shelf life with a lot of the meats indefinitely. I mean, seriously, indefinitely. And that's just from, it's just from dry hanging. You also do a lard dip or two, isn't that right? Right. Yeah. The pigs that we raise are lard type pigs. They're Mangalitsa and Mangalitsa crosses. And they generate a, a lot of fat, which, you know, we've been told uh, that fat is bad, but actually fat is good. And the human body that we reside in is actually a fat burner and not a sugar burner. So if we feed this this body a lot of sugar, we wind up having all kinds of problems. But if we feed it a high quality animal fat, then things change. I mean, the, the joints start working again. Everything starts working again. The ringing ears go away. So many things change when you feed it a good quality fat. And... Um, which, which means you have to master the feeding of these animals, which is really old technology that's been kind of kept away from us. You know, a lot of people will take on raising a few pigs and they're told that, oh, you just feed them corn. That's just feed them corn or hog chow. And in reality, when you do that, you're creating a very, uh, very dirty and hard to digest fat on those animals. If you feed your animals just uh, the standard, or as as of the last 40 years, uh, agriculture has gone to corn and soy. And a lot of the feeds that uh, cattle are getting and pigs are getting, and chickens for that matter, are really high in those vegetable fats that are not very good. And the animals really aren't they're not really designed for that. They're designed to eat forages, which would be like hay, grasses, um, you know, roots, cattails, uh, acorns, many, many things like that. We feed a lot of acorns to our pigs, but that's just seasonal. That's just a seasonal feed. What's your, what's your product or your animal mix on your farm? What are you, what are you raising across the spectrum? Yeah, so we're really diversified, uh, and this is something that I've just learned in maybe the last 10 years, that diversification is very important. Uh, we have beef cattle. We have milk cows, not a lot of them. I milk five cows, that's all. Um, we have broiler chickens, but that's just a seasonal crop. We start them in uh, April and then we finish them up in November. So it's just a, a warm weather crop. We have laying chickens, have about a hundred of them, and that's all year round. 
we have Mangalitsa and Mangalitsa cross pigs. Have a lot of them. That's a, a pretty good crop. We have sheep. We're just getting into sheep. Uh, and sheep's a great crop too. If you have land that's a, a little too rough to get any equipment on, you can always run sheep through there and they can make good quality meat and fat out of the out of the uh, forages that are out there, the grasses and and browse, they call it. You know, like if you have small trees with leaves on it, they'll eat those. Yeah, that's about it. So are you doing bees at all? No, I don't have bees. Don't have bees. I don't I don't have anything against bees. It's just a big commitment. It is. No, that's why I was asking, because I I brought on I have three hives going to five here in a couple weeks. And then we've got the cattle and then looking at probably goats because I've got some really steep area that are um it's just laden with blackberries and other other stuff in there that the cattle won't eat but the yeah. goats the goats will forage that down to nothing and then we can start seeding it rather than trying to get in there and cut it which is a lot safer than trying to flip a tractor or something right yeah so yeah goats have their purpose <laughs> they do not everybody likes the milk or the meat but it it has yeah, a, I, I like the meat it's okay but i i the milk as far as uh up against cow milk, I don't. There's no comparison. I don't think. I won't necessarily disagree. That's good. So, you are you developing as well within your farm? You you sell some of your products off the farm. You have a, a market that way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're Scott. We are a farm first. We're that's where we started, and we're a production outfit. And I think what's unique about Baker's Green Acres is we're able to do both. We're able to bring people on and and help them explore this career field. But we're doing production first. You know, it's it's the real thing. And I think that's very important. I think that's very important. And we do it a couple different ways. We have uh, the classes that we do, like the hog processing classes, beef processing classes, charcuterie, uh, pasture poultry classes. And usually in those classes, we sell quite a bit of the meat that that, that we're processing. Uh, people know coming in that they can take as much of it home as they want. And so that's a good thing. Uh, we have a store on the farm. And the way that is set up is People can pull in the driveway, stop in front of the store, run in, get their milk, eggs, beef, pork, and chicken, whatever they want, get back in and go. And there's usually no more than one car in the driveway at a time. If you don't have to back up or anything. You can just follow the road back out to the main road. And we did that intentionally. And then we do one drop in town on Wednesday where we'll take in like 30 gallons of milk and then whatever else people have asked for the day before, the week before. Are you doing an intern program or is it mainly just students come and pay for classes and that's part of your teaching? We do both. Um, I, I'll take on interns on a case by case basis. I don't have a big program like, like uh, Polyface does. Uh, I'm going to have a couple this year, just a couple, maybe three. 
but then we do do the classes where people will sign up for the class and then they're they're coming and staying in a hotel close by or at our campground and then they're able to come and take the class and then they go but our interns are a little bit different like we like to take people on who are looking at getting into this career field and are you know leaning forward uh no real age restriction i have a guy that interned last year that's probably about 14 and his dad said hey could he come and work with you guys kid didn't want to at first but then uh he really took a liking to what we were doing and as soon as he finishes up with school i think he's coming back to us and then i i got a 19 year old coming from uh down in north carolina here memorial day weekend he's coming so one of the big barriers to entry into farming is the cost of land. I mean, that's just become a huge problem. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I agree, but there's some there's some misnomers out there about this type of farming. And it is that you have to have a lot of land to do it. And I don't think that's true. Um, as a matter of fact, we're we're going to set out to prove that that's not true because we define farming as the production of proteins and carbohydrates. That's it. So if you're in an apartment building and you have some buckets out on your, you know, your patio and you're growing tomatoes in it, you're farming, you know, you are farming, you're producing and people would say, well, it's just hot. You know, that's, that's kind of dumb. That hobby farming thing. If you're, if you produce a tomato and you put that, you cut that tomato up and make a BLT with it, that's not a hobby tomato. That's a real tomato. So me and Jill started this uh, at our last place that was only uh, 13 acres. It was small. And we, we kind of mastered some of these things and we started feeding our family. And when I mentor people, I usually recommend that they treat it as a part-time job first and keep your day job, you know, keep your day job because the, this, a lot of this is a pretty steep learning curve. So keep your day job. So if you make mistakes, you'll still be okay. And then transition to where, you know, I've got this 40 hours a week at my day job. And then I've, I've got 40 hours on my homestead. Hey, something's got to give. Uh, I think I'll go part-time at my, my day job you know, something like that. But I don't think that it's necessary that you have a lot of land. We are uh, starting a program this this summer. It's called the Baker's Green Acres Quarter Acre Homestead Project. And one of the interns is going to run that. Uh, but we're going to pack as much stuff onto this quarter acre. We've got a small garage with a uh, an apartment in it. And we paste off a quarter acre. We're going to fence it off get a vegetable garden going, get a pen of pigs going in there, a couple steers, uh, some grapes, and whatever else we can think of. And it's going to be uh, at the campground so people be able to see it. And then they can get an idea, wow, you really can do a lot on a quarter of an acre or a half an acre. That's, I mean, you ever have to mow your parents' yard that was a half an acre with a push mower? That's a lot of land. It is. Well, that's interesting. That's because the two projects I'm running, um, one is the urban homestead. Yeah. So we're running my own right now. And this is without 
animals yet, but we're running right now where we have about, when you take the quarter acre and then you've got the house on it, you get down to about an eighth of an acre that I've done raised beds and terrace farming off the back hill. And we're running it about with fruit trees, about 80% to 90% of all of our fresh fruits and vegetables comes from that back area. So when we add, next year I'll add a, a hive of bees out here, and we're looking at either chickens or rabbits to augment that. And that gives us, I mean, that the, the amount of production you can get out of a small space. And I'm, I'm doing both raised beds. Um, I'm actually following more. Are you familiar with John Jevons' work, Bountiful Gardens, any of that? No, I've heard of him, but I, I'm not familiar with his work. Yeah, a lot of pioneering work in high-density agriculture in small spaces. Yeah. So I followed that method, and then I've also been bringing on um, bag, like uh, grow bag. Yeah. So it's it's an easy augmentation to your space because you don't have to – I mean, there's areas that it's just easier to grow out of a bag than it is to try to dig down sure. into, say, root systems or drainage systems or whatever that is. So on a small space, that becomes pretty critical. Mm. But it's, uh, I think that's awesome what you're doing because people need to be thinking that way. We have, we have in, this, in the country over 70 million acres of toxic lawn that just sits there and all they do is dump fertilizer in it and have somebody mow it. Yeah. And that's productive land, right? Yeah. So what's your thought, Mark, on the – because we have some pretty critical issues right now in our food supply chain system yeah. you know, across the nation. We have, Obviously, food processing plants have been spontaneously combusting, which is quite interesting. And then we have, um, as well, a real critical moment in our in this monocropping methodology of agriculture. I mean, the soils themselves are becoming to a point of like critical collapse. I mean, depending on who you're talking to, some have even said we're down to as little as six cycles before we have a systemic collapse in the soil's even ability to sustain a seed, even if it's genetically modified. What's your thoughts? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, we touched on this a little bit, and I, I said critical farming skills or homesteading skills. And homesteading is defined by some, and I agree with this, as uh, you have to be able to grow stuff, make stuff, and fix stuff, right? Um and if you grow stuff, let's say you grow a pig, you grow a, a a steer, let's you grow some rabbits. Well, then what does a uh, does a pig have any value to you if you can't get it processed? And uh, processing becomes a critical skill, just like a certain bridge could be a critical bridge if somebody could choke that bridge off and you couldn't move troops across it. So processing is a critical skill because they can choke it off. A lot of the processing plants in the United States are run or overseen by government agencies, whether they're state agencies or federal agencies. And during uh, the pandemic, right, a lot of them were shut down. And they were shut down because the inspector came down with a mysterious cough, you know, so they shut the plant down. We actually have a friend. He's a, a fellow GI that runs a processing plant, a USDA plant. And his inspector 
came down with or tested positive for the Wu flu. He felt fine, but yeah, he had it. They shut his plant down. They shut my friend's plant down to clean it. And he had some words to say it to those people and they shut it down for 90 days, right? So you can imagine what it did to his business. So that's a critical skill. If they can stop that, then what value does a steer have? Unless you're a homesteader that has mastered critical skills like processing. Can you process your own beef? Can you process your own pig? Can you process your chickens? Can you process your dog if you have to eat? You know, those are critical things that you need to know how to do. And of course you can, when you get hungry enough, oh yeah, you'll you'll process it if you have to do it with your pocket knife. But a smarter bet would be, hey, master this now while you still have your day job and then later on ease into it. Or if the wheels really fall off, and you need those skills, you got them. You would be, you could be a the coolest guy in your neighborhood because you have butchered one pig in your life, you know, like you, you've butchered a couple of pigs. You have the basic skills. I mean, it could be 20 years from now, but you could still envision, okay, I know the first step has something to do with a gun. I know that, or a sledgehammer, right? So that I think uh, I think that's what we have to look at, you know, could processing get shut down? Yeah, it, it definitely could. And usually if they can, they will. So that's why I believe it. those are critical, critical skills. Okay, what was the second part of that? Well, I just think that in, in as we're talking about this, we're just exactly, I mean, we're talking about vulnerabilities and yeah. really the, the necessary parts of what it's going to take as we're coming together to kind of reclaim some of these skills, you've hit a big one, which is processing, right? I mean, I think I think processing extends as well to fruits and vegetables because that's another one that's taken for granted. I mean, what and it's it's it takes doing. All of that takes doing, right? I think it's so. processing and preservation are the two the two critical skills. What's your thought on? And I'm starting this this year with some, I. Setting it up actually in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to try start doing some experiments with it. Have you done pressure canning for meats? Oh yeah, that's a big one. Okay, and I mean, I, it's not that it's foreign to me, but I just haven't done it in mass, and this is why I'm gearing up to do it uh, to be able to where you can even take a whole cow and process it for pressure canning for meats because that's another one that has amazing shelf life. In that, right? Yeah, sure does, and it's it's really good too. Like if you shoot kind of a like an old buck or something like that. And, but if you, you can the meat and really anybody can do it because it doesn't take rocket science to just bone out, you know, a deer, uh, right. so long as you've been shown how to do it and then get it in cans and then follow the instruction, put a clove of garlic in each one is how my wife does it. Or if we have uh, like an old sheep, uh, Jill will can that, and it's really good meat. Yeah, it is, and it's, its shelf life is amazing, and and it really and, mm. and the flavors actually get better as it sits anyway. It does, it does. Like the old chickens, our old layers, we can that meat, and it's superb. It's, it's fantastic. So you're processing yeah. in uh, your when are your pro animal processing times? Do you have spring or just fall? Is that primarily what you're doing? Is fall? 
No, we work around the clock, uh, uh, around the, the calendar. Uh, we're, we're processing chickens in the summertime. So we started that, I think, about four weeks ago. And we not only process our own chickens, but we process uh, people in the community's chickens. And they come from really far away. So we have one day a week when we process other people's birds. And then we, you know, we water bath them and then we put them in a bag and we put them in our cooler, bring them down to 38. Uh, so we will be doing that until turkeys come in the fall. And we'll finish up with turkeys and get all that stuff put away. And then the next weekend we're into pigs. And turkeys you're yeah. growing or you're just, are you growing turkeys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I guess I didn't mention turkeys before. It's kind of a seasonal thing. We usually do about 100 of them. Don't they get sick fairly easily? I mean, that was my experience in southern Georgia, that they were very temperamental mm -hmm. to the climate shifts, but not so? Um, yeah. Uh, turkeys commit suicide. They, they do not want to live. They have really innovative ways to kill themselves. Like, you can never leave a half-full... Uh, water bucket anywhere near them because you'll have like five of them will jump in and die uh but once they once they clear about eight weeks then they're bulletproof and what we do is we put them right in with the chickens with the broiler chickens and it seems like the broiler chickens kind of teach them how to live and then the broiler chickens rotate out at eight weeks eight or nine weeks and they're going through the butcher shop and at that time, then we're taking these uh, juvenile um, turkeys and we put them in their pen, which is a totally separate area uh, because their housing has to be a little bit more heavy duty because they're going to get up to about 25, 30 pounds. So if they have 100 of them, you have to have some pretty stout um, perches for them to sit on. You're putting a lot of weight on those things. So. Oh, yeah. Is your land pretty flat, or does it have some terrain? No, I've got a really nice place. It's It's got some rolling to it. Uh, it was, it's kind of funny that, uh, that you asked that, because uh, this place, I got it very inexpensively, because the industrial agriculturalists in the neighborhood uh, didn't like it, because they think that it's wet. It's wet ground. But for them, they've got to be able to put very big tractors on. And my ground stays a little bit wet all season. So it's a sort of a guard against any kind of drought. But I use pretty light equipment. I only have a 50-horsepower tractor. One of the challenges that we're, I'm kind of re-innovating, which is up in, uh, in our property here, 80 acres, because most of it's yeah. hillside. And it's steep enough that... Um, Running a normal tractor is not a good idea. We've got about 20 acres flat, which will pull most of the hay we need off of for yeah. the winter this year. And then the rest of that, like what I've done this year is I've set up, I've got my ATV set up with a chain harrow and a cedar. And so I'm able to broadcast seed and chain harrow most of the property as we need mm -hmm. it, which is uh, a lot safer. And, and it's just, and then let the cows graze. We actually, our cattle were able to graze on our grass all through the winter this year. And we didn't have a downtime at all, which was pretty unusual, but we were getting enough rain and so forth that it definitely is creating a better quality beef. And it's like I told you, the the, the steer that I, or not steer, the bull that I just purchased, Yeah. 
the guy that breeds only range feeds his cattle. So there's they're not they're not they're not there's no grain input, there's none of that. I mean, it's all grass-fed stuff. So even when the bulls are in the bullpen, when you go up and buy them, he's still feeding them hay mix in the bullpen. So that's a it, it creates okay. a really strong animal. I might and I think a, I think a healthier yeah. overall an animal is tremendously healthier. Oh, right. for sure. Now, what about pasture rotation? Are you doing that model? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Pasture rotation is is critical. That's another critical skill because, uh, like you like you just mentioned, uh, if you're able to keep your animals on pasture for the entire year, then your inputs into them is minimal. Now, how can you do that? Uh, when I first started this, I would turn my cows out. And, and they would eat everything down and then something would pop up over here and they'd run over here and they'd, they'd bite that off. And then after a while I had nothing. So I learned that it's very important to rotationally graze, graze them, which means give them, Oh, I don't know. Uh, give them a, a portion of a field that I'll, I'll temporary fence it off with a single strand of poly wire and let them eat up to that wire and then the next day move them say another 50 feet and the next day another 50 feet uh, so i've got so, sort of a a maze of fences and gates here that i can open and close uh if they're off of a field for let's say two weeks it's sort of like not mowing your lawn for two weeks uh it'll be back up mm -hmm. to 16 18 inches and then you turn them in there, and they'll take it down to say six inches, and uh, at at the same time they're distributing the air manure, and my fields are getting better with time and not worse. So they're, you know, we, we've been sold this bullet bill of goods of uh, austerity, right? That oh, you know, your fields they'll degrade in time if you don't put fertilizer on them, but in reality. If you let your cows out on the field and self-harvest, they're harvesting the grass on their own and distributing their manure on their own, then the field is being nourished and growing more grass. So it is an abundant creation that we live in. And, you know, the cows can do really well and monetarily do really well if you don't have to pay money to, to, to feed them during the year so. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, I I think that's the one thing we've seen. We we kept them on one of the lower pastures, overgrazed it this year, but because we had some fencing issues to fix on the other side. Yeah. But once we move them off, that field has come back so strong. We'll we'll get more hay than we would have had last than we had last year off of that one field. And it's all like you're saying because they've they've been grazing it. Their manures there and I didn't even run a chain harrow on it. I mean, it's just it's just there, right? So, um, real interesting as we watch that. What about your rotation of so the model that I'm working with right now is we're taking this 80, and I'm subdividing it down to about five pastures, and it's going to be where we'll rotate the cows through that on a, basically about every week. So there's a, a spot that they're at. So by the time you come back to the first pasture, it's been about five weeks, but within oh, yeah. there. As I get through this this year, the idea is to create behind it, whether it's goats 
and a rotation of chickens, but the idea of having two different livestock run between. This is the model I've been looking at now is rotation, not only by pasture, but by livestock. Are you doing anything like that? No, no, I, I, I have, and I understand that concept. Um, but there's for, you know, some people will say, oh, you want to run your chickens behind your cattle. But I've sat at the feet of, of people who would say, no, you don't want to do this. And that would kind of be in line with me telling you, no, don't do that Shane Harrow thing. Don't do that. Is let's let's look at the prairie and the the bison out on the prairie. When a bison defecates, you get this big plop going down. No one comes behind that bison and breaks it up. No chickens come behind it and scratch it all out and eat the bugs out of it. It just sits there and it creates an ecosystem and from that ecosystem all kinds of wonderful things happen so i feel as though all right i did the thing where i would put my chickens out behind the cows four days it makes sense right there's going to be maggots in their manure chickens will scratch it all out spread it all out and everything the problem i had was the chickens would see the barn and say i want to go sleep in there tonight I want to sleep on Mark's tractor seat tonight, lay an egg and a few poops on there too. So we'd get five chickens. The next night we'd have 10. And before you know it, they'd all be at the barn. We'd have to collect them up, put them back out in their house. So I just didn't want to do that anymore. So I, I, uh, I stopped doing that. And then I noticed that when the cows defecate, they create this little, little world right there and there's all these little beans that live in there now the cows will not go back to that the first year they'll let the grass grow they'll give it about a foot around it that they'll eat but the next year they're going to be right there and you'll have that circle go from you know maybe a foot in diameter to two feet in diameter just bright green grass and then after a while you do it long enough those those dots of bright green grass they start to connect up and you have a, just a lush beautiful field so i think there's pros and cons to that that traveling thing and uh the way we do our chickens we do them in chicken tractors and the chicken tractors are there we make them and we do a really good job building them but they're no match for a cow you know if a cow wants to get in there to get that chicken feed He'll just blow right through everything, and then you'll have chickens everywhere. So for peace of mind, I have a field that I run nothing but chickens on, and the cows can't get in there. There's, there's just a barrier to keep them in, just electric keeps them out. And so I don't wake up in the morning and look out there and think, well, you know, is there going to be a bull out there with the, the chickens? So no, I don't, I don't run them together like that. I understand that concept, but... Uh, it just doesn't really work for me. Yeah, I get it. Water, one of the critical issues. Um, we have, obviously, there's a point where we get an abundance of rain seasonally. Are you are you well dependent or do you, are you, have you come up with a water reclamation systems on your property, whether it's ponds or storage and tanks? Um, I, I have. Uh, what I do... It is I kind of have reversed what they did in the past. 
this is a pretty old farm. It was 1900. Um, a lot of the ditches that are dug on this farm were dug by German prisoners of war, believe it or not, because um, we knew some of the people were still living when we first moved here 20 years ago. Um, and what we've done is we've reversed that because we kind of feel as though we want to keep as much water on the farm as possible where they wanted to drain it off because they were dead set on growing as much corn as they possibly could. And uh, we don't do that. We grow, we're grass farmers. So the more water I can keep on the farm, the more grass I can grow, the more grazing I can do. And then I've got a big accumulation of water. We've got several pretty good sized ponds that I can just park a pump out there. And if we've got a droughty situation, then I can run a big irrigation pump and pump the water up if I need to. I mean, I don't do it unless I really need to. I haven't done it the last two years. And because uh, we, you know, we're Michigan, so we we get pretty good rain. Yep. No, I'm, I'm with you because we get really good rain here. I mean, just, and then one of those things that, and I'm asking just for general information because, I mean, I'm, these are challenges that we're looking at, which is adding more ponds. We have got a couple. Uh, we're looking at, we have a, we have two wells on the property. So one of them we're converting over to a solar system. Mm. And we also have river water access to, but adding storage tanks to that. And then I'm also adding up on the hill, I'm adding a, at least a five, maybe a 10,000 gallon tank that will be fed from one of the wells that'll create a gravity feed system that can fill all the needs in the middle of summer without any power, just gravity feed. So yeah, what, that's one of the things, and like on yourself, I'm assuming you have just, you have electric pumps or you're using wind or using solar, anything like that? No, I, I, I have two pumps. I have two wells that I use. Um, and both of them have electric pumps on them. And those are submersibles? So my 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 critical, yeah, I know what you're getting at. My critical uh, thing is, let's say we have a power outage, um, and I've got, oh, 20 cows. They're all going through 10 gallons of water a day. So now we have a problem, you know? And if it's in the winter time, then I'm going to give them access to one of the ponds and we would be sawing out the, the ice so that they could get in there and they would drink. And same thing in the summertime. I've always got access to ponds. Okay. Um, with my cows, though, I have their water tank at the barn because I want them to come up in the morning to get milked. And so usually they stay out all night and then here they come up to the barn to be milked in the morning and then they drink when they're up at the barn. No, that's good. That, that behavior is easy to train. That's good. Yep. Yeah. Water is huge. Water is huge. I mean, you really have to look at that hard. And, and my backup is I've got a diesel generator that, you know, if I have to, I can flip that on and I can run water and, you know, I, we, we have rough winters, so we lose power pretty regularly. And so I get to operationally check my generator a couple times a year. And, you know, we don't run too much off it, the coffee maker and, you know, charge a cell phone or something like that, but we can run the pumps. We could actually run the chicken processing line if we had to with the generator that we have. 
And I think that's, that's just something I've addressed here on the urban space as well, because one of the most vulnerable places in a, in a country setting or a rural setting, when you have land and you can set up ponds or you can have wells or you can have rain reclamation systems, that's, that's a pretty easy, you've got space to do it in the urban setting. Yeah. That's a different model. And so what we've done here is I've put in 1200 gallons in two different tanks, and we're going to add probably a double that um, in just different parts of the property on the back area in and around our growing. And it becomes very compressed, but it's a necessary because when you're sitting like where we are here, even though my town is interesting, it allows for any of the urban or the city people in, when you're in city limits to drill a well. There's no well drillers around here with a unit small enough because they look like oil drilling oil drilling units to get inside backyards, even though we've got a wide space to get in. So there's water reclamation becomes one of those huge, huge issue and water storage for an urban model, which I think is because without it, nothing's going to grow. Let's <laughs> just be clear, and and especially when you're bringing in animals. Yeah, I wouldn't even think about uh, taking on a property that doesn't have a lot of water because you're so limited. Yep. You know, like if you've got a water cattle, they just take so much per day. Even our chickens, if we've got a lot of chickens going, a lot of broiler chickens going, they're going through a lot of water, 20 gallons per chicken tractor per day. So that's a lot of, it's a lot of work to move that amount of water. And uh, I don't know, you didn't ask about this, but I have a pretty elaborate distribution system for my water as well too and i use uh three quarter inch pvc pipe and i run it all over the place because our water needs are so great and that's all the way across your property or you just do it segmented by by area no i i run it all over the place because uh uh most of our water use is seasonal mm -hmm. so uh I can I can run water lines at the root of a fence line. So I can just, when I build a fence, I can put a water line right there. I don't even dig it in. And then the grass covers it, but I'm not using it in the wintertime. So in the wintertime, we're just isolating it out. Okay. And uh, it's, it's pretty easy to run water lines if you don't have to dig them in. And then I have a few, I have three frost-free, uh, spigots and you know I can water the cows from that and that's about all I really need is just the cows chickens we haul water for them and we're not doing broilers in the wintertime anyway so in terms of your farm model in a more extreme situation yeah when you were dealing with a reduction in power or power access which leads to issues around water so power and water, your redundancies then are essentially built around a generator. Is that kind of your model? I'm just curious. Well, uh, I, I would say that our model is is built around the seasons mm -hmm. more than around that generator, right? So uh, we butcher cattle in the winter time from December first on. Now if if I didn't do that, I would have to be running a lot of HVAC, a lot of refrigeration units. 
Uh, the coal that comes in, in in December is free. I don't pay for it. They don't send me a bill, not yet. As a matter of fact, I'm supposed to complain about it. Oh, it's so cold out. But if I was going to do that in the summertime, I was going to butcher cattle in the summertime, you're talking a lot of electricity to run that refrigeration equipment. Plus, it's very expensive. And you become a slave to that refrigeration equipment. I mean, several of the cattle that you butcher per month is going to just servicing the debt on that or the electrical needs of that unit. So um, I, I, I think our generator, I have two of them, by the way, our, our generator is a backup, right? So if I need water for the cattle, I would be more inclined to take them to the pond than I would turn the generator on. The generator would be last, last effort. Although I got to say this, although when we do have a power outage, that's my chance to just operationally check it. Okay, it comes on, powers everything up, and we're still in good shape. You know, it it's a good good time to check that. But no, I wouldn't say we're we're uh, built around it. If let's say we had a power down, let's say we had an EMP. Let's say, you know, people talk a lot about EMPs these days, right? I don't know. It's weird. I was in the military for 20 years. I never heard the term. <laughs> never. But uh, let's say an EMP happened and all electrical devices were failing. And that would mean my generator may fail, too. We could still function. We can milk five cows by hand, right? It just takes longer. We can still butcher a cow. I don't need any real equipment. We've got a, a chain hoist that's by hand. We've got, you know, a knife that I sharpen on a stone. Uh, I don't think an EMP would affect my 22 rifle very well. Um, so I, we could still function. Um, and I think that if that did happen, then we would have more disposable man hours that we could throw at a situation like that if we if we're set up so we can function in that environment now there's a a dairy north of me about five miles and they milk 2500 cows three times a day and they have a bunch of little guys running around there that do it let's say that there's a power down and it's a prolonged power down there's no way you can milk 2,500 cows by just doing this. There's just no way you could do it. And if they did, how would they cool it down? And how would they ship it? You know, an, an operation like that would, would fail. Uh, but an operation like us, we look at the electricity that's coming in as a, a real luxury. But if it, came, if it came to a screeching halt, we could still function. It's just we won't have as much time for leisure activities if there is such a thing well i like what you just said a lot because you're talking about seasons and using what god gives us as a rotation to build a model around for preservation which i'm 100 oh, yeah. I'm behind I'm, I'm totally there and i think that's what we miss and it's what i say so often is the world of convenience is probably our biggest trap because we are always trying to find to do things easier but there's always a cost yeah so that's that's pretty amazing so, Mark, in this 
way forward, what would be some of your advice for people in just kind of looking at their situation? We have a lot of people in Bars Nation that are growing food. There's um, that's a great thing. But what would you? What would be some simple things that you would suggest in people looking at and kind of preparing for the unknowns going ahead? And that's just kind of a mindset of how you'd approach it. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a sense of urgency, and this is something that I had to learn in the military, and, and older guys had to teach me this. If you don't have a sense of urgency, work on your sense of urgency. You know, as a lower ranking guy, hey, if that airplane don't fly, I don't care. You know, it's not my problem. But they want you to have a sense of urgency to make sure things work. And so if you if you create, if you if you are able to acquire a sense of urgency now and then plug in the components, they're going to make that work. Like, do you have a library of essential skills that you need to know how to do? Do you have that? Well, get it. Do you have a rudimentary uh, essential tool uh, array? Do you have that? Then now's the time to get it. Do you have a skill set? You know, maybe you're good on balance sheets, but that might not really help going into the future. You've got to have hard skills. I um, I served overseas uh, quite a bit, and I got to go to third world countries. And they are not like, let's say you're in Bolivia. They're not really concerned with what's on TV that night because they don't have TVs, right? but they're real concerned about what they're going to have for dinner tomorrow night, real concerned about that. And they're working hard to go in that direction and see, we're not concerned about that because, Oh, we can get it at the Seven Eleven, We can get it at a restaurant. We can get it at, you know, Walmart, whatever. Well, what happens if that dries up, which it's, it's not hard to connect the dots to see that that could could happen, you know? So get the skills now to be able to take care of yourself and become more self-sufficient. No, I don't think anybody's totally self-sufficient, but I think some of us are way more self-sufficient than, than we were before. So adopt the sense of urgency and kind of look at, I, I mean, I, I think I watched one episode of survivor island or was it just survivor but i get the gist of it i think that's the sense of urgency like who do we want in our community do we want you know do we are we go are we headed towards like a, a jamestown event where a guy says oh well, i don't i don't shovel manure i only you know cut gemstones well you'll be starving then because so you better humble yourself, learn how to do some stuff and nothing is, is above or beneath anybody. That's well said. All right. So before we close with a prayer, what, uh, again, where can people find your sites you want them to go to? Yeah. Um, and I just purviewed this because, uh, my, my son works with us, my second oldest son and my wife works with us. And then we have a, a business lady that works with us. And so I just previewed this whole thing right before we came on. 
And it's the anyone can farm experience.com. And there is a ton of information there. My wife does a really good blog. Uh, we do a video blog. Uh, I do a Tuesday night show, eight o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I do a Thursday night show where we interview people. That's the show that you were on, Scott. Mm -hmm. uh, we have video classes on there. We have manufacturers discounts. And it's going to get better because as we gain steam, we have more people come and say, hey, we'd love to advertise on your on your channel. Um, and I can tell you this too. Uh, we're not convincing anybody that they need to get into homesteading. Uh, people are finding this out on their own. And then they're saying, well, who can we get with to, to point us in the right direction? And there is nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you were going to be an accountant, you would go and learn from somebody that knows what they're doing. And I'm sure you've heard this before, Scott. If you want to stay alive, then you will listen to those who know. I must have heard that about a hundred times when I was active duty, because there's people out there yakking about stuff, but do they really do the thing? You know, if you do the thing, then you have the power. So listen to people who actually do these things. And I can think of two or three of them right off the bat, the, the Salatin family down there at Polyface Farm. They're a great resource, man. That guy has been nothing but a but a help to me uh, in this journey. Um, Justin Rhodes, I, I don't know him, but he's got a lot of good stuff on his, a lot of how-to mm -hmm. stuff. Um, you know, there's quite a few of them around. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. Off Grid with Doug and Stacy. You ever hear of those guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. All these I know. They're channel, good. But, yeah. They're good. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah, that. I'm, I'm going to have to send you. I just I just picked up a scythe, a custom made up in Maine. Oh, so, a scythe. A scythe, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, we're going to put it to task here soon. Well, and, and again, it's back to the same model that I was telling you about. When you have this much hillside that we have, yeah. you're not running a tractor. So if, you're, if there's some areas you need to cut, you better be creative one way or the other because it's not going to be on yeah. a tractor. I will guarantee you. So yeah, that'll be grazing, grazing only. That would be grazing only. Absolutely. Mark, we always close with a prayer. If it's okay, I'll do a prayer. You bet. You bet. Father, we just want to thank you for Mark and his family and, and all the efforts that they're doing to continue to awaken the ancient paths, inspire people to take charge of their lives and truly start putting our hands in their dirt and sowing seeds, both physically and spiritually. Mark just continued to be a, a voice and a pioneer towards a, a great way of life returning us backwards as we need to go before we start charging boldly into the future we don't know and preserving a lot of the skills and, and helping us all find our way. So please bless him and his family and all they do. Continue to guide him and to continue to awaken the hearts and minds of those that need to be awakened for the times ahead. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Always a pleasure talking to you. I'm planning on going to your charcuterie class this year. You know, you should come to the the uh, butchering class too. Okay, so and that's in November. That's in November. Yeah. Okay. That's a good starter. You know, because right. uh, there's a little bit of overlap from that class to the charcuterie class. If you couldn't make it, no problem. Yeah. Um, but 
that's a good class. We have a lot of fun. Good. I'll have 10 steers under my belt by the time I get there. So that's good. That you would have processed? Oh, yeah. That's that's coming. I, it's, I've got 10 steers that are ready to process between August and end of October. So we're going to be busy. Are you going to build uh, a slaughterhouse on your place? Yeah, we are. And so what I'm doing right now is there's a guy in South County. I, I just like the, his arrangement better. I like his butchery better. And he runs yeah. a part-time butchery. So I'm working with him to go down and I'm bringing my steers down and pay him to butcher. And then I'm going to work with him. And so we're just going to work with that. And then I'm, I'm kind of laying out how he's done a really nice small butchery. So I'm kind of just taking the designs and putting that together so we can kind of implement. And we were laying out where we wanted it a little different space than I'd originally intended, but kind of what you're saying, we're trying to move it onto a cooler side so we don't, we can take advantage of the seasons better. And so, yeah, it's, it's absolutely coming this year. And that's a big one. And <laughs> storage is a big one, especially with 10 steers. That's only about 6,000 pounds of beef. So no big deal. <laughs> There's a guy uh, in Elford, Texas, named Sean Kelly. He's 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 a member of the tribe. Okay, um, you could contact him. He knows you. Okay, and he built. Well, it's it's the Anyone Can Farm tribe on Facebook. Are you on Facebook? No, I'm not. I, I'll have to get back on. I guess Sean Kelly, and he's in Texas. Yeah, Elford, Texas. Okay. Crunchy Mama Farms, and he would be a good guy to talk to, give you a little consulting uh, as far as building a shop, because he just, he's got these uh, these blocks that they got from someplace or other. You can still buy them, and they pour concrete into them, uh -huh. and in a cold or hot environment, they work really good for something like that. Does he have a website? Yeah, it's probably Crunchy Mama Farms. Okay. Crunchy mama. There we go. Right there. Super yeah, I just nice found it. People. All right. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh I'll reach out to him. Awesome. And they, yeah. so that's yep. Thank you. That's good. And he's and he trained from under you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right, sir. Well, thank you very much. It's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mark. Have a blessed day. God bless you, man. All right, you too. Thank you. Okay, See you bet. Bye bye. Well, Patriots, that was Mark Baker. From Baker's Green Acres or anyone the anyone can farm experience.com. Check those things out. They're awesome classes and a lot of great knowledge. I I think I'm on his show next week, if I'm not mistaken. I'll let you know before, but I think I'm going over on his show now. But it's good. He's it, a great source of knowledge. And Mark has a really good education program. So I'd highly encourage you to get involved with that. Can't miss it. So Time to get busy on those sorts of things, obviously, since the world is kind of changing. I have no intention of eating bugs nor wearing rainbow nonsense from Target. We need seamstresses. I keep saying that. We need people that can make clothes for people. That's what we need. That's what we're looking for. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bat evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight.
for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil did.
didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.